Hello, everybody. This is the Power Slam podcast being recorded on July 9th, 2018. This is your host, Brendan Dennis. Uh, sorry, I have not posted anything in a while. I actually have two completely unfinished episodes from June uh, where I wasn't sure what to talk about and then kind of got lost in the shuffle. They never ended up being finalized. And now here we are. But today, at least I have some direction. Um, I will tell you just over the summer, it's difficult to keep up with these podcasts just due to the myriad of things going on. Um, as I stated towards uh, the May episodes, I moved into a new house, had that going on, had a lot of construction with that. Um, you know, having a lot of activities over the summer, going places. I'm taking a vacation at the end of July, so I'll probably be radio silent uh, right around that last week or so. Um, but I've been off here for about a month, a little over a month in terms of uploading podcasts, and I'm ready to get back at it. Um, Another one of the reasons I haven't been uploading podcasts, just so you're aware, and I kind of hate to divert traffic here, um, but not as though I'm competing with any of these people, realistically. Um, I've been listening to a lot of uh, podcasts that have been hosted specifically by Conrad Thompson, um, who hosts the 83 Weeks podcast with Eric Bischoff, going over those, uh, basically his times in WCW, and then the uh, Tony Shivani podcast and the Bruce Pritchard podcast as well. Um, so all three of those hosted by Conrad Thompson. He does an absolutely fantastic job. Um, and supposedly, according to Bischoff, I guess he has, he kind of let this loose during one of the 83 Weeks podcasts. Apparently, Thompson has like a team of people, which I guess doesn't entirely shock me considering the amount of detail and facts that he's able to compile um, those of you who have listened to this podcast know it's more loosey-goosey. I've got some facts to back up what I'm saying, but a lot of it's just opinion off the cuff. Thompson goes over dates um, and does like a chronology, usually, of whatever event that they're talking about on that particular day. And the 83 Weeks podcast with Bischoff, to me, is his best one. I, I think that's extremely interesting. I think for all the foibles of Bischoff, he does have a very engaging personality, which makes for a very good podcast. Um, so if I, if I had to recommend one podcast outside of the Talk is Jericho, because I love Talk is Jericho, specifically when he has his wrestling episodes, although he has not had one here for what seems like a few weeks. Um, you know, he had the Glow preview, which was kind of quasi-wrestling related, but most of them have been rock and roll related recently, which I guess is fine over the summer. Um, I'd like to, him to get back into the wrestling a little bit. Uh, but if I had one to recommend one wrestling or wrestling-related podcast outside of Talk is Jericho, it would be the 83 Weeks Podcast with Eric Bischoff. I would definitely uh, take a look at that one if you are a true wrestling aficionado, which I would imagine anybody who's listening to my podcast is. Um, because here I am, and as I'm recording this on July 9th, I think a lot of you could probably guess what it is that I'm going to talk about. It's the events that took place on July 7th, this past Saturday, at the G1 Special in San Francisco for New Japan Pro Wrestling, specifically the events at the end of the evening involving the Bullet Club. All right, and this was something that I had discussed ad nauseum uh, over the course of the podcast in the last, you know, however many episodes I've done. Um, I always mentioned it. I almost always mention it at least once per episode or every other episode, I should say, in terms of how I think things are going to shake out with the Bullet Club what's going to happen with the storyline, what's going to happen with the leadership. Well, we had a major, major shift take place on Saturday. So let's set the scene as to what transpired.
All right, the G1 special in San Francisco. The main event scheduled to be Cody versus the new IWGP heavyweight champion, Kenny Omega. His first title defense as the IWGP champion. And it ends up going to Cody storyline-wise because Cody defeated him at Supercard of Honor 12, realistically, because this was a New Japan pay-per-view level event at the Cow Palace, and they probably wanted him, being Kenny, to face another Westerner for the purpose of selling tickets, uh, specifically Cody, who was hot in America. So I'm going to digress here for a second. I had heard from Meltzer, or I, I hadn't personally heard from Meltzer, but I, what I understood from Meltzer was that this show was not sold out ahead of time. And I don't know what the Cow Palace capacity is, but that that's sort of... It's a little bit difficult to believe for me. I mean, this had the card of what would probably shake out to be a mid-level New Japan event, like something not up certainly to the standards of Dominion or Wrestle Kingdom, but maybe something more along the lines of like a Sakura Genesis or something like that. But again, New Japan doesn't have a lot of dates in the United States, and I sort of thought that this would pan out to be a situation where they could get some traction, they could get some ticket sales by running in a place that they don't normally run. I mean, when's the last time New Japan ran a show in San Francisco? <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't honestly know the answer to that, but it was probably a very, very long time ago. Um, so I thought it would have sold out, uh, and I hope that closer to the gate, it at least came close. Um, but I did not watch it on Access TV. I will admit I don't have Access TV, so that's what made it impossible to watch. Um, and not only that, but it was a Saturday night, and I do have a girlfriend, and I was doing some other things. Um, but I have seen clips of what transpired afterwards. Um, I've read the reviews, so I'm not going to go over the show in its entirety. I'm mostly going to focus and keep this podcast focused on the Bullet Club aspect here. Okay, so back to the framing, the scene. Um, Cody's going to wrestle Kenny Omega in the main event. Bullet Club has a few matches scattered throughout the card. The opening match involves Bullet Club, which happened to be Tamatonga, Tongaloa, Haku, okay, being Tamatonga's dad, King Haku, uh, who also wrestled in, WC, I believe, both WCW and WWF for periods of time. So he's another one of those Tongan slash Samoan wrestlers that has kind of that lineage, so to speak. So he was there, uh, and then Chase Owens and Yujiro Takahashi. Okay, so they're in a 10-man tag with a bunch of basically lower-level members of Chaos, for lack of a better description. Um, if I can remember correctly, it was Yoshihashi, Gato, Rapongi 3K, and then I can't think of the other... The other person was also pretty low-level to the point where I thought they would have taken the pin along either them or Gato, and sure enough, it was Gato that took the pin. It wasn't Jado. Oh, it was um, Rocky, Rocky Romero, because Rocky doesn't... He barely wrestles anymore. Um, and I would have imagined, again, I can't state this because they didn't record the preview and put it out, but I would have imagined that the Bullet Club would have won that match because of the involvement of both Gato and Rocky, who were the most pinnable of the ten, both being on the same team. And sure enough, Gato took the pin after a gun stun from Tamatonga, and Bullet Club picked up the win there. Uh, the remainder of the card had the Young Bucks defending the IWGP Heavyweight Championships, which they had just recently won off of their opponents for the night, Evil and Sonata, who get the rematch. Young Bucks retain 
in a match that's not shouldn't be overly shocking um, considering the fact that they just won it um, I'm sure New Japan would like to give them a run with the titles um, and have their defend have them defend for at least a few occasions here in their first IWGP heavyweight uh, tag team run the other main bullet club match outside of the main event um, was Marty Scrawl and Hangman Page teaming up to go against Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kushida. And somewhat surprisingly, Bullet Club also picks up the win here. I would have actually surmised that Tanahashi and Kushida were going to win. But Bullet Club gets the win in that one as well. So Bullet Club, Bullet Club, Bullet Club wins. And again, this is a G1 special in America, so I suppose maybe it makes sense that the Bullet Club's going over like you wouldn't believe. Um, and everything seems fine. Everybody's tagging just fine. No, no ideas that there was any discontent leading up to this. But, at least on the card itself. But, leading up to it, as you know, the Young Bucks have being the elite. And not only do they have that, but that is also a forum for sometimes either Hangman or Cody um, or Marty. And Kenny, technically, is a, obviously a portion of the elite. At least the original elite, now the golden elite, with Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, and Kota Ibushi. But it sometimes is a forum for some of the other guys to take the mantle. And in this particular instance, Cody came up with, and I guess I, as I say this, I'm not sure if this was affiliated with being the elite in any capacity or the Young Bucks YouTube channel. But Cody came up with his own Bullet Club G1 preview, where he essentially ran through the card and who was going to be there and you know, what they were going to do at the G1 Special in San Francisco to kind of hype the event from a social media perspective. And one of the portions of hyping the event was allowing the Tongans to talk. And that started with Tonga Loa, who hyped up his involvement in Bullet Club and the Tongan element and showed Haku in the background, actually during that portion of the filming. And then it showed Tama Tonga. And towards the end, of what Tama was talking about in terms of hyping up, you know, the Tongan presence, basically, of the Bullet Club at the G1 Special, he started to say, and we're going to come, and we're going to, like, bleh, and then it cuts off, and it goes back to Cody. Cody's like, ah, oh, Tama, always great to have you around, or something like that. So, the way that the film was edited, it made it seem as though Cody essentially cut Tama off, or edited Tama out, and made sure that the video cut back to him before whatever message it was that Tama was going to deliver. All right. So there's a one, a, you know, a bit of a clue as to possibly something transpiring sometime during the night between the Bullet Club members. Okay. And Tama has been biding his time in the background. He's been not really saying much of anything. And this was my main criticism. Again, as you, if you listen to the podcast, you know. My main criticism of Tom Matonga has been, you're just not involved, man. I mean, what is it that you're doing? Could you make your presence any less known than it already is? I mean, nobody's even aware he exists because he doesn't say much of anything. He just kind of hangs out in the background. Um, so for him to have put together a promo for this, you know, step out of the shell a little bit. And again, that's sort of not just Tom Matonga. In the most recent Bullet Club fracture scenario involving Cody and Kenny Omega, but throughout the establishment of the Bullet Club, Tom has been, I don't want to say anything but a leader, but close, close there too. 
because he just hasn't made his voice heard. So now all of a sudden, you've got Tom, Katama cutting a promo. You know he's going to be there. Let's run through who's not on the card from Bullet Club. Okay? Let's think about this for a second. Who's not on the card from Bullet Club? Hook Leo, okay? Or also known as Leo Tonga, being Tama Tonga and Tonga Loa's younger brother, um, or cousin, I believe. I don't know, a family member, certainly. Big guy, um, but still very green. He's also Yujiro Takahashi, he's his senpai. Um, so, but he was not on the card in any capacity. They actually brought him in, if you'll remember correctly, when there were some injuries in the Bullet Club back in 2017, and they needed somebody to step in to do some smaller shows. He was there, and sometimes he will step in for some smaller shows here and there, um, even when the Bullet Club's at full health. Taiji Ishimori, or the new Bone Soldier, not on the card. Okay. And most importantly, Bad Luck Fale. So no Bad Luck Fale. And if you would have run down, if you would have told me there was a 10-man tag involving the Bullet Club, and you wouldn't have told me who was in the tag, I probably would have given you the same tag lineup that ended up being on the card, except you would have had Fale in there for who? Haku. Okay. So let's think about this. Haku is on the card. It's interesting that Haku is in the card on the card in America. I mean, could that have something to do with it? But I don't see Haku being any more popular in America than Bad Luck Vale would be. As people know, he's an OG Bullet Club member and has been around since, you know, the very, very literally the very beginning with Prince Devitt slash Finn Balor. So I think Fale probably would have even gotten a bigger reaction than Haku. So why is Haku there? Head scratcher, right? And maybe that's clue number two. So again, the card goes off kind of without a hitch. Bullet Club does very well, wins all their matches. Then you get to the final match, the final fight, as Kenny Omega would probably like to call it with the video game reference. Um, trying to top their Supercard of Honor 12 match, which I did go back and watch. I want to say like three or four weeks ago, I finally watched that match. It really wasn't anything special. I think there were too many shenanigans. You had the Young Bucks with the double super kicks that ended up hitting Kenny instead of Cody. It, it just it didn't really do it for me. Um, and a lot of Cody matches don't. Sometimes he can pull it together. But for the most part, I'm just not a big Cody wrestling fan. I think he's gotten significantly better with the marketing and on the mic. That I will give him a ton of credit for. But the in-ring stuff just isn't there um, you know, in, in my style. So they had the match. The match is good. It's a good match. I wouldn't probably say it would be a great match. Um, again, I saw highlights of it. I, I didn't watch it from front to back, so I shouldn't really criticize. I've got to go back and take a look at it. I probably will in August uh, when I sign up for the network, um, or New Japan World, I should say, to watch the G1 Finals. But Kenny Omega ends up winning with a one-winged angel, which he had attempted, but Cody had countered a couple times earlier in the match. Uh, Kenny finally hits it, ends up getting the pin. After the fact, if you'll remember correctly, Cody had previously teased kind of a Bullet Club reunion or a reunion with Kenny Omega and himself back in one of the, in what ended up being that 100th episode, I believe it was, of being the elite where Kenny had won the IWGP Heavyweight Championship and Cody was going to come to him with champagne 
and the weightlifter's belt that said Kenny on it, and then ended up balking and not doing it because his pride and his ego got in the way, and he wanted a shot, his own shot, at the title. So Kenny gets the pin. Afterwards, you wonder how Kenny's going to react. I mean, you have an idea of how Kenny's going to react. Kenny's going to be, oh, I love you, man. You know, why don't we get back together and make sure that Bullet Club is fine and do all that good stuff. And sure enough, he that is how he reacts. But the real question is, how is Cody going to react? And Cody ends up reacting in the same fashion as Kenny. They hug. Uh, it's just an all-out love fest between the Bullet Club members, and everything seems great. Well, Kenny, Cody, the Young Bucks, all going up the ramp um, to go backstage after the love fest is over, and who comes out to ruin the whole thing? The firing squad. And the firing squad is comprised of Tamatonga, Tongaloa, and Haku. Interesting. And how do they ruin the whole thing? Well, Tama comes out and nails Kenny right in the back of the head. They all just start stopping away, immediately get the jump on the Bullet Club members that are there. So being, I think it was Kenny at the time, Cody and the Young Bucks. Then as more Bullet Club members start to come out to make saves, you know, Tama and Tongaloa already have chairs start laying waste to everybody, um, do it to Marty Scroll, do it to Hangman Page. Uh, Chase Owens and Yujiro Takahashi come out. Here's where things get really interesting. And the firing squad lays waste to them too. Okay. Now all three of the Bullet Club members who I mentioned earlier were not on the card did not appear. So the only Bullet Club members that showed up for this final segment were those that were on the card and were wrestling that night. So there was no Leo Tonga, there was no Bone Soldier, and there was no, very importantly, Bad Luck Fale. So those members of Bullet Club that were on the card but were not Tongan, essentially, got laid out. Those members being Kenny Omega, Cody, The Young Bucks, Hangman Page, Marty Scroll, Yujiro Takahashi, and Chase Owens. So there's eight Bullet Club members that get laid out by three Bullet Club members. And you knew the Tamatonga power grab was coming. You didn't know how it was going to come. And this seems like a very aggressive power grab by Tamatonga, considering the fact that there's only three of them right now. Okay. I mean, literally, it was a three-on-eight, and lucky for him, because of the way, you know, the jump, I mean, from a storyline perspective, it's going to be, one, they got the jump, two, they had the chairs, that's why they were able to pull this off. Otherwise, there's no way they would have been able, you know, three guys would have normally been able to lay waste to eight, particularly when the eight includes, arguably, the best wrestler in the world and the best tag team in the world, but that's what happened. And the Tongans stood tall as the special came to an end. Um, but very interesting stuff. There's a lot to talk about here, okay? And I tried to set the table as best as I could to talk about it uh, with who was there, who wasn't there, who got laid out, who didn't get laid out. That That's going to be, those are going to be some major, major factors in what we're going to discuss right now. So Tamatonga, Tongaloa, and Haku do this. Haku, <clears throat> I mean, we know that Haku is a quote-unquote Bullet Club member. Right, but in really what capacity is Haku a Bullet Club member? I mean, he's ancient. He's not going to be there forever. It seems, I guess, fitting in the sense that he was a family member that helped 
you know, in the destruction. But when you look at it from a storyline perspective, he's not going to be there all the time. It's not like he's going to be, you know, a guy that's going to be at every house show um, or re- even every pay-per-view level event from here on out. So realistically, to me, I'll count Haku as a third member for the purposes of this, this discussion. But when we get to the end, just remember, you can take one off basically on the Tongan side here uh, when it comes down to it. Because he's not always going to be around for this. So, again, I already mentioned it. I laid out the eight for the one side, being the traditional Bullet Club side, and then the three OG Tongan Bullet Club members. So then there were three that weren't there at all, okay? So, well, let's, let's not even forget the eight that I mentioned earlier. So just, let's just stick with the three that did the assault. Tama Tonga, Tonga Loa, Haku. Who can we add to that group? as potentially being on that side of this new Bullet Club Civil War that we're getting into, all right? Most obviously, we're probably looking at Bad Luck Fale being a part of the Tongan side. Now, we don't know that for a fact. And as a matter of fact, Bad Luck Fale has tweeted in the last, what was about 36 hours since this event took place, and said, F him, basically, on his Twitter feed. He said, F him. And, I mean, the F was obviously all the way spelled out, but considering I yeah, do have this up on pod, podcast distribu- uh, distribution websites as a, a swear-free zone, um, I'm probably not going to use the actual language that he used. But what does that ultimately mean? Well, I think it's relatively clear, but the only portion of it that, that is unclear is who it's directed towards. It's clear that Fale is taking a side. I think that much... It's true. He could be saying F them as to all of them, but I don't think that's what he's doing. I think it's pretty clear that he's taking a side here. It's just a matter of which side. And again, when you're talking about a Bullet Club Civil War that might go on for a little while here, in terms of the power struggle dynamic and the storyline, Fale pretty much has to be with the Tongans because you have so many big names on the other side. You know, again, the eight who are attacked presumably, although we'll talk about that in a second, versus the three that were the attackers, it's so far skewed from that perspective that you've got to imagine that they're going to skew things um, in the direction of the Tongans from here on out to even the odds, so to speak. So Fale, I, I would presume, is going to be with the Tongans. I do think it's interesting he wasn't there and wasn't involved in the attack. Because I think, I would imagine that New Japan's trying to add an extra layer of intrigue here with Fale and not necessarily knowing who he's going to align with. But again, I think that if they're going to drag this out, have some matches resolved and what have you, to me, it almost has to be that he's with the Tongans. So even though I think they are trying to give you some added intrigue, I don't think there's a whole lot of intrigue there because I think the answer is pretty plain on its face. So let's say that Fale is with Tamatonga, Tongaloa, and Haku, and that makes four, all right? You still have four, and then you still have eight that were attacked at the pay-per-view. So let's go with Ishimori, okay, another guy who was not there. Well, first of all, Hukulio, uh, Leo Tonga, let's talk about him. He is pretty much an easy check in the column of the Tongans because those are his family that did the attacking. You would presume that he's with them. So let's now notch it up to five, although Leo, Tong- Leo Tonga being the... Um, you know, lowest <laughs> member of the Bullet Club totem pole probably in its entirety. So, not saying a whole lot, but let's say he's there. So now it's five. Now it's getting closer. Taiji Ishimori, 
was brought into the Bullet Club. Who introduced him into the Bullet Club? Think about that for a second. Who did the introduction of Bone Soldier returning and being a member of the Bullet Club? Tama Tonga. Okay. So if Tama, Tama Tonga brings Ishimori back into the Bullet Club fold, and not only that, but he can legitimately look at Marty Strahl as really his only other Bullet Club competition in the space that is the junior division, wouldn't you presume that Ishimori would also be with the Tongans? Okay. So that would increase it up to six. Now look how even we're getting. Okay. So now you think that we're done. Six versus eight, right? Well, what really are... Let's dissect all of the allegiances of those who were attacked in the attack. Start from the top. Kenny Omega and Cody appear to have reunited. They appear to be united front. No doubt the Young Bucks who are usually at least with one of them, would be with both of them in that scenario. So there's at least four, Scrawl and Page, both Ring of Honor signed members of the Bullet Club contingent themselves, five and six. Then that takes us down to seven and eight, being Yujiro, Takahashi, and Chase Owens. All right. Yujiro is a longtime member of the Bullet Club as well. So are the Young Bucks, really, at this point. Um... And Chase has been a very serviceable member of the Bullet Club for the last couple of years. When I have broken down, the six that I have broken down thus far is definitive on one side or the other are either, well, except for Haku, who again is more of a special appearance character than anything else here, are broken down either signed by New Japan, being the Tongan element, okay, or signed by Ring of Honor, being the, basically the elite, being the elite element save for Kenny, Kenny being the only exception, as somebody who's a New Japan wrestler on in that other column, okay? But except for essentially one exception being Kenny Omega, it's basically the New Japan contingent versus the Ring of Honor contingent in a lot of ways. Who are Yujiro and Chase assigned with? New Japan. So they were attacked by Tamatonga in the post-match beatdown, but if you were to go by who they, if you took out the attack and separated that from the discussion of who they would otherwise be aligned with, it would probably end up checking them in the New Japan column. Because let's go back some episodes in Being the Elite. Does anybody remember the Being the Elite episode where you had the Young Bucks come into the locker room and they were talking essentially to the Tongan contingent? I believe it was... Um, I actually don't remember if, again, Leo Tonga was there. I think Tonga Loa was there, but I think it was Tama Tonga, Tonga Loa, Bad Luck Fale, Chase. I can't remember if Yujiro was there. He might not have been there for one reason or another. Um, and then maybe even Fat-Ass Masa. But he came in and basically told them, hey, you know, guys, we're cool. Don't worry about everything. Everything is fine. And again, I'd have to go back and look at this episode, but I can definitively say that Chase Owens was sitting on that bench with the Tongans, and Yudro might have been. I don't think that he was. I think he was out of that lineup. But I know that Owens was there for sure. And those guys stick together because they are the New Japan contingent of the Bullet Club. And Kenny, I think, has some additional freedom to work in the United States, specifically with Ring of Honor more often than those guys do. Those guys are usually kept back in Japan to work a lot of the smaller house shows and Yudro in particular to groom Hikulio. Um, 
So they're always together over in Japan. So you would think that Yujiro, and not only that, but Yujiro is Japanese. And again, this is sort of like a... It's, it, I know the, these guys aren't being the Tongans and uh, Fale and Ishimori. Well, Ishimori is Japanese, obviously. But the, the remainder of them are not actually of Japanese heritage. But they spend all their time in Japan. They work in Japan. That's what they do. These guys on the other side of the Bullet Club column don't really do that, except, again, for Kenny. So from that perspective, you would imagine that um, Yujiro and Chase would be more apt to align themselves with the Tongan element. But, of course, then comes the attack, and both of them get, you know, eat chair at the G1 special, which, from a frustration and what-the-heck-you-just-attacked-me standpoint, would you, lead you to believe that they're with the Kenny Cody element of the Bullet Club. So what I'm, I guess I'm saying is I think there's six on one side for sure, six on the other side for sure, but I would not take Chase and Yujiro and put them in either column for sure as of right now. Again, I know that Chase, also in being the elite, there's a storyline where, you know, Kenny, because I think they had to come up with something or they wanted to put something on video as to why Chase would align with Kenny immediately after the split with Cody when all the other, you know, Western guys seem to be with Cody and the Tongans didn't seem to be with anybody, yet they had to have Chase, they were, you know, having Chase team with both Kenny and Coda. So I think they had to come up with a reason, remember, that Kenny made the basketball shot, basically, to get Chase to be his partner. So there's that connection to Kenny. Um, but I don't know, I think it's very up in the air with both Yujiro and Chase. And I, I think don't think that should be discounted. As a matter of fact, I think that New Japan should utilize that in their storylines and make that another storyline element with those two being kind of torn between who they're going to support going forward. And not only, oh, another thing, everybody knows that Hikulio is um, Yujiro's understudy. All right, and he's aligned with the Tongans. So what does Yujiro do from that perspective? So again, multi-layered here, specifically, and I know that both of those guys are kind of lower end um, you know, members of the Bullet Club, but I, I think that that is for somebody who pays a lot of attention to what's going on in that faction, a very kind of cool little nuance to keep your eyes on over the next few weeks here. Um, so now the question becomes, where's, where do we go from here? And I, I don't think the timing could be any better. It becomes very obvious where we go from a storyline perspective, we go right into the G1, which starts on what? I believe July 14th. Um, so I'm recording this on July 9th. Um, what is the 14th? That's Saturday? Yeah, I believe that's this Saturday. So how awesome is that? So now we're going to go right into kicking this off with a Bullet Club feud immediately off the bat because you do have Tomatonga and Fale in the G1 along with Kenny and Hangman on the other side. I think it would be a lot more interesting with some additional members in the G1. And as the G1 progresses, of course, you have the undercard. I would imagine there's going to be a lot of Bullet Club storyline on the G1 undercard with some of the tags they're going to put together. And that will, again, include Yujiro and Chase, who are probably just going to be very conflicted in who they're wrestling against and what's going on. And Tongaloa and Leo Tonga, and again, Ishimori probably to a degree, being very violent and aggressive in what they're doing towards the remaining Bullet Club members, and it, it should be really kind of cool um, to see all of that come together. And I would bet some of these tags, the Young Bucks will probably try to be peacemakers 
um, particularly towards the G1 final um, with the other members of the Bullock of the Tongan element, uh, trying to get them to settle down and, um, you know, accept everybody back in. But we'll see if that happens. Maybe they'll all reunite. Maybe we'll have uh, basically the NWO red and black versus the white and black, which I think a lot of people have anticipated was coming for some time. They are using apparently the WCW playbook, although what's great about New Japan is for how long have you had the Bullet Club? Approximately four years, and now we're getting the split? That's the way to do it, Eric Bischoff, by the way. Again, I like listening to 83 Weeks, but the split of the NWO, the add of all the ridiculous amount of members came way too hard and fast. Um, it should have been just Hogan, Hall, and Nash for quite some time. It wasn't. Uh, luckily, New Japan strung it out a bit more, did a better job of marketing, um, especially in today's social media age. You know, and you can credit the Young Bucks, Kenny, Cody, with all of that. But we're finally getting the split that a lot of people anticipated was coming, and I think it's going to make make for a very interesting, um, you know, G1. And not only that, but this could really be strung out, I would imagine, into Wrestle Kingdom 13. And the clear winner from a booking perspective in all of this, I would say, is Tamatonga. Because Tamatonga is now going to be pushed as somebody who believes they are a leader of this faction, the biggest faction in wrestling today, and he, he's got to be legitimized. I mean, you've got to make him kind of a legitimate character, so to speak, if he's going to hold himself out as somebody who is in that position. So he's going to string together a lot more wins. He's going to be more of a player on the heavyweight scene. He's going to probably get a bit of a singles run here, which he realistically hasn't had for some time, even though he's been in the G1 the last couple of years. So kudos to Tamatanga. I just wish him the best in taking the ball and running with it. And I hope that it results in some really great wrestling and not only some great wrestling, but some great promos. Um, and I, you know, for somebody who hasn't been, who ha- who hasn't stepped out of his shell very much in, you know, the, the, um, you know, time that has been the Bullet Club here for the last four years, the organization that has been the Bullet Club, this, this is his time to shine. He's got to grab the ball and run with it. And if he doesn't do it here, he's probably never going to get another one. So I wish him the best. I, I hope that he steps up to the plate. Hope he makes it work. And uh, the Bullet Club's going to be fun to watch. So everybody, New Japan World, as I continue to tout, even though I don't have it for the month of July, saving that 10 bucks, I'm going to get it in August for sure um, to watch the G1 final. But uh, this, this storyline is going to be awesome to watch. Uh, if you're a wrestling fan, definitely do so because this is going to be one for the books. And uh, I hope that everybody enjoys it going forward. Thank you very much. Uh, this is a great podcast. was able to record it very quickly. I'll probably get it up today, and I will talk to everybody soon. Thanks.